Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome, everybody, to this post-draft, post-2021 draft football GM podcast. Mike Sando here from The Athletic, along with two-time NFL general manager, 35-year veteran of the personnel evaluation trade. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Mike. Happy to be back after a crazy weekend. Huh? Wasn't it kind of cool to see all the people in Cleveland, though? I mean, it was awesome. Oh. Kind of, Kind of made us feel like we weren't in the middle of a pandemic for a few minutes. I think we're near the end of the pandemic. I'm I'm optimistic on this thing, and it did. It felt great, and uh, it looked good, and there's excitement, you know, as there should be around this event that obviously changes so many lives for the better for these players coming in, and hopefully for the better for a lot of the teams um, right. as they finish their evaluations and stuff. So we have a jam-packed show, and of course, before the draft started, the whole Aaron Rodgers saga blew up, and I think it's just a great... <laughs> Uh, thing to discuss. I mean, sorry, Packers fans, you wish we didn't have to discuss it. But there's so many aspects to this from an organizational standpoint, from a messaging standpoint, uh, leadership. There's lots of ways to look at this. And we're going to kind of leverage our experience in analyzing these things. And Randy, your direct experience in being in the middle of these situations to to really take a, a close look at that, we're going to get to the draft too. I mean, there were some surprises, some picks that Randy, Randy really liked, some things he kind of, I think, foreshadowed before the draft. Uh, so some moves there we might get to involving the Bears, Ravens, Eagles, Giants, Jets are, are a few of them. Asked the GM question this week. I think we're going to look at really use the Raiders selection of Alex Letterwood at 17, which was not a surprise to people probably if you've been listening to this podcast, Randy was high <laughs> on him. But we'll discuss that whole idea of, hey, could you have gotten him later? I mean, sometimes that's a fair criticism too, even if you get a good player. So right. so I ran out of breath. We have so much stuff, uh, Randy. But let's, let's just dive into the Aaron Rodgers situation. I'm going to give a little background here, but first, let's just take it back to Thursday, you know, and we're getting ready for this draft. And this comes out, your just initial thought of Aaron Rodgers not being happy with the Packers and not wanting to play there anymore. Just Yeah, I thought the timing was peculiar, to say the least. I think, really, my first thought was they chose last draft to find his replacement, and they kind of embarrassed him, right? It was an embarrassing situation for the franchise. And so when this came out, like you said Thursday, I kind of felt like it was payback, right? This was Aaron Rodgers paying them back for embarrassing him. And this kind of embarrassed the Packers, this whole scenario that's played out all weekend long. Um, this was his shot over the bow to say, hey, I'm not ready to to be written off yet. So you're right. It's a fascinating discussion on many levels. One that I feel like we probably should be laying on a couch and listening, talking to a therapist, you know, and, and, and I'm saying that in all seriousness, there is a lot of human behavior traits here way above my pay grade. I can tell you that, but I do think it'll be fun to jump into it. Um, but yeah, the timing of it is, yeah. is, was the first question I had. That's really interesting. The idea of, of a payback to me because, uh, you know, they, they selected Jordan Love, and I think maybe somehow, going back and looking at the coverage at the time, you know, the, the agent uh, uh, for Rodgers had gotten a heads up and maybe texted quarterback to Aaron Rodgers, but that's not a real inclusive process. Yeah. And so, you know, he didn't really include them, obviously, in, right. in this story. Um, 
we'll get to that. So the story breaks on Thursday. Adam Schefter, you know, uh, had the story, quote, reigning MVP Aaron Rodgers is so disgruntled with the Packers, he's told some within the org he does not want to return to the team. And then Yahoo's Charles Robinson comes out on Friday, and there's even a little more specifics here saying he remains adamant, Rodgers, that he won't return to the team under the current stewardship of GM Brian Gutekunst a source in Rogers camp said, and that he's willing to weigh hardline options at his disposal, refusing to show up, holding out, possible retirement, which I don't believe for a second retirement. I mean, you have to pay back a ton of money, but it's Aaron Rodgers. We'll talk about that. Asked if anything could be done to repair the relationship, Charles Robinson of Yahoo writes, uh, between Rogers and the team, the source said a reconciliation may not be possible if Gutenkust remains and beyond that, Mark Murphy knows the stance. Quote, the ball is in Mark's court. Um, yeah. The story says a source close to Rogers. So this is a little bit of the approach I I feel like that uh, Russell Wilson took, too, where Russell doesn't really come out himself and say, right. I hate Pete Carroll or whatever. Right. Uh, right. But, you know, it's sort of these it's sort of you get a little bit of distance there, but you're getting the point across. That's what Rogers is doing here, um, you know, through the media. But that. That whole idea to me really ups the ante, Randy, that you would say a, the GM has to be changed. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a hard one for me. Well, I totally agree. I think <clears throat> it was the one card that, if played, uh, made it uh, kind of the end game for me. I mean, I don't think you play that card unless you have your feet dug in to to take your stance to the nth degree, right? I would say this, and let me just backtrack for two seconds on that pick last year. And like we said, he wasn't in the loop on the drafting of Jordan Love. The fact that he wasn't told me that this was personal even before that. I think this goes back a longer time than that pick of of Jordan Love by the Packers. That could have been a response to something else that happened earlier. I think that's the part that kind of intrigues me. I don't think we got to this point just because of Jordan Love, you know, and they're drafting and not picking a receiver. Yes. And so I went back. A lot of times I'll do this when there's a story, even by a specific specific reporter. So Charles Robinson reports this. I kind of went back and read the history of his reporting on Rodgers. And it's interesting because Gutekunst was promoted to his role. He's been with Green Bay a long time, but in January of 2018. okay. And so I noticed three months later, Charles Robinson um, had a story that said, quote, sources close to Rogers say he's growing frustrated with management, freezing him out of decisions that impact him. And that may already be weighing on contract extension talk. So right away, I'm thinking of, God, that's sort of the Tom Brady situation, right? Where uh, he had a, he wanted more control and got it with Tampa Bay. And that's been flaunted. That's really been flaunted. And they won the freaking Super Bowl off of it. I think that really puts us over the edge. So then you see Russell Wilson's upset. He wants more say. Rodgers, we already know back to 2018, according to this, wanted it too. But let's get into the the, sort of the setup in Green Bay because I don't think they're real well equipped to to handle any of this. Do you? No, I really don't. And and it's just a a victim of their own successes, right? I mean, this is a team that's gone from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to to the next guy in their minds. I think, you know, 31 other teams have an owner that kind of the peacemaker, right? He's the caretaker of his own investment, per se. And the value of these franchises skyrocket when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or even Russell Wilson to a lesser degree. So I think the owner always usually comes in and hugs everybody up and says, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Or... 
like you saw in New England when Tom Brady was said to not be happy with Garoppolo. He goes to Robert Kraft and says, get this guy out of here. We're moving on. And that kind of got brushed under the rug. But the next thing you know, Jimmy G's traded. So Robert Kraft knew and still knows how his bread gets buttered. And it's a player's league and it's a star player's league. That structure that you mentioned doesn't exist in Green Bay. They don't have an owner. They have Mark Murphy who answers to a board, which you can really say probably answers to, to nobody. He does what he wants to do. And so I think he's acquired all the power through the through the structural changes that they've had. And promoting Brian to, to his spot was one of them. But everybody answers to him now. So I think this thing gets dumped on Mark's plate. And, and like was said in, in the column that you referenced earlier, it, it's, they're waiting for the next move to be made by him. Unfortunately, there's no owner to kind of calm everybody down, to answer some of the hard questions, to, to, to be the caretaker of the value of the franchise. And, and the value of these franchises goes crazy when these when these star players are successful. So that's a, that's one element. The other one is Brian came from the scouting end, right? Brian was a scout by heart, like some of us are, but I don't know that he was equipped for something like this either. Everybody thinks these GMs are brought in to sit in the room and pick players. Well, as we're finding out, there's a little more to the job than that. We've said that all along, that communication is hard. It is very hard. You have to manage your star players. You have to manage coaches. You have to manage the media. You don't get time like you did as a scout to sit and evaluate players and, and close the door and not be bothered. That's just not part of the job description anymore. So I think he's had a little bit of learning on the job as well. He wasn't in a decision-making role up until he was put into this spot. So, you know, there's some on-the-job training that goes on. What do they always say? Education is expensive. Well, in this case, it's been very expensive because there's collateral damage. And now with Aaron Rodgers coming out and saying, I'm only willing to go back if the GM's gone, that's probably not going to happen. And I think Aaron knows that. And his agent, Dave Dunn, know that. But guess what? If that doesn't happen, what's the only other alternative? If I'm digging my heels in, you yeah. got to move me. So you know, I want to get to that. But I think an extension of the Gutekus thing of being a scout and being on the road and all that, not really being necessarily having the experience of, of leadership. You also have a, a young uh, head coach who doesn't have a bunch of skins on the wall, and he's yep. basically the play caller, right? And the, yep. the, I'm not saying Matt, Matt LaFleur's done a bad job as the head coach of the team. I'm not saying that, but that's not his specialty, right? He's still growing into that role. He doesn't have experience doing that. He's barely been a coordinator. So he, truthfully, would probably be best off with his door closed scheming it up, right? Yep. And and yep. doing all that. So you've got all of these guys who report directly to Murphy. And then the one guy who does have all the skins on the wall is your MVP quarterback. Right. And he's a he's a master manipulator. I mean, yeah. is there a more manipulative quarterback almost that you could ever think of? Yeah, no. Um, and he's he's we all know how smart he is and how multi-levered his decision making is and his statements and all that. It's all well thought out. So I, I totally agree. I do think to just to go on your point, there may be a little lack of respect toward the GM and toward the coach because of their lack of resume, because of their lack of skins on the wall. Aaron Rodgers, you know, two-time MVP, won a Super Bowl before these guys even, you know, were put into their roles. So the respect factor is an issue as well. I've known this many times throughout my career where I've seen coaches, GMs, players scrap, uh, mainly because their one was no peacemaker and two, they didn't respect each other. And that's, that's a real thing in the NFL because we're dealing with egos pride, big money. It's hard to get along sometimes. 
At least the Bulls had uh, Phil Jackson there, right? right. <laughs> to manage right. all the personalities and his magical uh, ability to uh, get hey. to the players. It's a I, thing. I, I think a real debate, though, now is like I agree that escalating it to the Gudikus has to go is um, gloves off, and he's really yeah. that just means we're serious. But I've really gone back and forth in my mind and in talking to, you know, people in the league, too, about what they should do about it. And uh, because he doesn't have uh, no trade clause, he can't pick where he would go. He doesn't uh, he's not going to be a free agent soon. You know, he has multiple years left on his contract. Um, And so while it does, you could make the case this feels final. This feels irreparably damaged. This feels like we can't move on. Is it really a net negative or a net positive to just write it out another year. Um, what would it happen if they just said, hey, we love Aaron Rodgers and we're building this team around the best we can. We've been 13-3 and three twice. We're on the brink of the Super Bowl. We've added some nice pieces here to help get us over the top, including a receiver in the third round. They don't even have to say that, but, but we're moving forward. Is it really going to be so untenable that it's not worth doing that? Because I think if you trade them, you're not in the NFC Championship game. You're not 13-3. and three. You're just trying to even be 500, yeah. maybe forever. I think this, the, the, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think the biggest reason he may want out of town is the biggest reason they don't let him out of town at the end. And that's Jordan Love. Because Jordan Love's not ready to go. And that's the caveat I think that Brian's, you know, <clears throat> torn uh, about. He understands Jordan Love not being ready to roll. Maybe they roll him out there, but I agree. Without Aaron Rodgers, this is not a team that's favored in the NFC, which brings up a whole nother topic of when you do find a place for him, if you if you even entertain that, I think everybody says, oh, everybody will want Aaron Rodgers, everybody will want Aaron Rodgers. But because he has a, doesn't have the no trade clause, the Packers get the pick where he goes. I can't see them sending him to another NFC team. I think he'll want to go to the West Coast. I think that eliminates a bunch of teams as well that he would even show up for. So I think you're talking about AFC teams on the West Coast, which really is the Raiders and Denver. When you look at all the other teams where, unless you want to trade him for Russell Wilson, then that's a whole nother podcast, okay? We'll talk about that one maybe in a month from now after June 1. But, I so I think, you know, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, there's no way I'm going to the Raiders. I mean, that's just a crazy time right now for them. We hear and read all the stuff about all the turmoil there. But it might be a one-team race in that, Denver is the one landing point that makes everybody happy. They haven't really solved their quarterback issues long-term yet. So the market that everybody thinks will be there for Aaron Rodgers may not be there if there's only one suitor. So what, I mean, so you're, you'd be sending though Aaron Rodgers to Denver. They can't really give you, I mean, are they going to give you Teddy Bridgewater as your bridge quarterback with, uh, with Jordan Love, but you'd have to get multiple number ones Mm -hmm. and maybe a, a top player, um, you know, to, yeah, I think we could speculate on the package without a doubt, but I do think they have enough. I do think they have enough to make a deal happen. But So my question is, though, do you do that if you're Green Bay just because you're tired of this? Is that a good enough reason? Because I don't think that Rodgers is going to retire. I don't think he's going to – I think he can show up and be prickly and do all of his coded messages. He does that already. He goes on the Pat McAfee show every week, and he smirks and says three things that could be interpreted four different ways, and it's cute. But he wins games. He's a yeah. great player. He's good. He's Let's a great leader He's of the team. Yeah. And I think I always come back to, you know, um, someone wise said a long time ago that, you know, the people that get respected in the locker room are the guys who make the most money and play the best ball. Mm-hmm. Check Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Check <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so to me, 
I would want him on my team. I mean, make him come out and be a real bad guy here. Because you can say they should have let him know what happened. There's things they could have handled better. I don't think they've really committed felonies that I know of. I see some misdemeanors here. I see some things that could have been handled better. A little bit of an old school approach, right? Which probably stems from Ted Thompson, who was also a great scout. (laughs) You know, not the most communicative person, right? Um, They're a little bit old school on this. But I don't think that we would look at it. Look, his weapons. They played great last year. Tanyan, Tanyan caught 10, touch, 10, 11 touchdowns. Devontae Adams, sorry, he'll be the best receiver in the league. That sort of reason went out the window last year to me. Um, they yeah. drafted a guy in the third round. They brought back their running back. They've got a pretty good offensive line. Um, where's the felonies here? You know what I mean? Make him come out and say it, I guess, before right. you do it, don't well, you? I, I think you're right. I, I don't disagree that they've – I mean, they're a decent team, right? They're 12 yeah. and 4. Good. I mean, made it to the NFC Championship game. I can't pick apart what they've done. That's what I, I always sense. I always go back to it's pride, it's ego, it's money. And those things together are all toxic in this situation. I think the big thing is by him calling out the GM now and saying he yeah. has to go or if I'm coming back, what's the most they could get out of Aaron Rodgers? What was part of their plan, even if he hadn't said a word? Maybe One another more year. year. That's the great point. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, so do we really want one year of turmoil when we've selected his successor already? We're not going to come off of that decision that we made a year ago. Why, why just, why not eliminate all the turmoil, eliminate the prickly comments, the veiled, whatever you say that he does just because he is difficult and let's get, just get what we can for him and move on. I think a, a Teddy Bridgewater or something like that coming back their way helps soften the blow. Not that they're anything like Aaron Rodgers. We're talking apples and oranges. But let's don't forget, they felt good enough about Jordan Love to trade up to get him. I think, yeah. And so he has to make some progress at some point to get on the field. I think at that point, though, Rodgers had had some injuries. That you could make a case the offense mm-hmm. wasn't as dynamic. And, you know, whether this lit a fire or you got healthier or guys around him played better, probably a combination of those things. But it's been even better. You know, he's played better. I think I think Aaron Rodgers has three good years left, especially in this offense where he didn't spend a week on the injury report. Um, it protects him. And I'd almost be – I'd just have a hard time giving up on the thing that you're never going to find again. You're never going to find Aaron Rodgers yeah. again. They, got, they went from Favre to Rodgers. That ain't happening. Jordan Love, right. at best, is going to be a good starter. Maybe go to a few Pro Bowls. I mean, that's just the reality of so, it, you know. So um, I guess you could make the case of do it another year. You can still trade them after the year. You can get them picks. You could use that at that time. Or you could spend a year getting that in a row. Maybe New Orleans is another team. Maybe you got a bidding war next year and you say, you know what? And that whole NFC <laughs> thing, you can say that. But if we lose to them in the playoffs, that means we had a good year. That means we were in the playoffs with Jordan Love. You know what? We'll take it. <clears throat> Um, I think you could possibly maximize your deal while getting another year out of him, unless he's just going to be absolutely untenable there. Uh, which I would, I would almost, <laughs> it's Aaron Rodgers. I would almost make him do that if, if I, you know what I mean, make him do that, and then, then we held on a year, but uh, too long. But man, he's the MVP of the of the league. He's great. There's no, he's arguably as good or better than Mahomes last year. You know, so. Here's the other alternative. You want to trade Jordan Love for a discount now, get a third or fourth round pick for him, move out of that direction, and then entertain firing Brian Gutekunst? Wow, can you imagine? And then you got you going to do that for for one, two years maybe of, of Aaron Rodgers' piece? I have a hard time firing the GM just on principle. I don't care if he's terrible. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I agree. I don't think that's going to happen. I just think this 
this whole scenario has a different feel. And, and I, I told you a little bit when we were talking uh, before the show, I've always come down a little bit on the clubs have leverage, right? Yeah. They always have leverage. They're always in a better position than the player might anticipate. I just don't know about what's going to happen with this case. I feel this is a little different. I feel like Aaron may have a few more cards in his back pocket. He's a, a difficult enough person. He has the Jeopardy thing sitting there. What's to say he's 22 million is what his base is? You think he, he's going to, that's going to make or break him? He got 200 million already in the bank. So, so does that really matter? I think I, I don't yeah. know. I'm just saying. I think I know which way we're, different. we're leaning, but Randy, today mm. is May 3rd. They open the season. The Packers open the season in September, week one. Is Aaron yeah. Rodgers their starting quarterback? I'm going to say no. Okay. That As we sit here, I'm going to say no, just because of what I just said. I think this just has a little different feel to it. There's some, there's some combustible components here on both sides that I don't know you can patch up. I don't know if you can patch up all the feelings and pride. You might for a temporary, you might patch the road a little bit. But I think we might need a repaving to happen sooner than later if you follow my drift. So we will see. I don't know. I'm kind of with you, though, on that because I think they already showed a willingness to go away from him and maybe a weariness of him. Um, yeah. Let's face it. He wore out You know, the, the relationship with McCarthy wasn't good. I'm sure they were both could have done better. But, um, you know, Aaron, I think Aaron Rodgers, maybe he's run his course there. Uh, maybe he does get traded before the season, I kind of lean with you a little bit that way too. And I wondered if Denver's behavior at all in the draft um, was a little bit of a tip too, to where I could buy that George Payton as an evaluator didn't love necessarily who was available enough between Justin Fields and Mac Jones to take him over Mm -hmm. Pat Sertan. That's a defensible thing just as an evaluator. He's in his first year. He didn't have to declare on a quarterback if he didn't actually love him. But I think that's easier to do if you think there's a chance in the back of your mind um, that you could get that you might be able to get Rodgers. And and George has been in the NFC North for 15 years. He's seen enough of it. Trust me, he doesn't need to go watch film. He, put it that way. He's, he's seen enough. Yeah, but he's heard the stories, too. He kind of probably knows better than a lot of people what's going on in Green Bay. Or, or what might happen. Dave, Dave Dunn. Yeah. Rodgers agents. Dave Dunn. UCLA guy. George Payton, UCLA guy. There's some connections, trust There's, me. These things happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, exactly. Dave Dunn also represents John Lynch. So yeah, I'm yeah. just saying that because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of stuff that, that sort of known. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Randy, you even t- you raised this with him going to Denver. And we sort of got blasted by some folks on Twitter like, oh, <laughs> yeah. clickbait. And yeah. we're you Whoops. and I are the opposite of clickbait. Whoops. I mean, yeah. I was a little uncomfortable with how forward the headline was that we ended up putting on the thing. Yeah. But Guess what? You sort of read between the lines. You do this long enough, and I'm sure you're the same way as me. I've heard of other stuff too that we're not talking about. That it doesn't mean it's a story. It doesn't mean it's true. Right. But when you hear enough stuff, yeah, there's enough smoke. Yeah, enough yeah. personal stuff. Yes, you just sort of get a feel, and I think that's where we're at. So yep. we're not gonna we're not gonna put it in stone, but we lean we lean a little yeah. bit towards like something could happen here. You know, um, I think there's something there. I don't think we're we're done yeah. talking about it. That's for darn sure. We're not. So we're not done with this podcast either. We made it about 20, 25 minutes mm-hmm. in on Rogers, but we got a lot of draft stuff. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, I love the drafts when they're over. I get really tired of the buildup to it because I'm not an evaluator. I'm not pretending. I'm not one of these media guys who's watching the film and acting like he... I get tired of it. (laughs) I get I tired too. of all of that and the cert, uh, the evaluations and this guy and that guy. I yeah. love seeing afterwards what teams actually did, Yeah, whether it yeah. makes sense. So let's just dive right into this draft. Uh, and you've sketched in a few things here. I'm going to just leave it to you. What of our stuff on our list today is is most interesting to you uh, to want to, to go forward with? Right. Uh, it might be. Uh, go ahead. I've got one. But you, yeah. I'll just say this. Initially, in, in, in talking about the draft as a whole from 30,000 feet, yeah. I'm with you. This year was an odd, disjointed, yeah. disincombobulated process for teams. <laughs> and I think that – is that a word, by the way? I'm, not, Dis- I'm from Idaho, so I don't know if that's yeah, a word. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, it's, it just seemed like a messed up time to me. And I thought the draft was reflective of that. I saw more picks of – potential undrafted free agents in the third round than I've ever seen before. I just don't think this draft lended itself to a ton of quality, both in the top of the first round and throughout the draft in the, from a depth standpoint. I, I, I'm a geek, right? I like to watch film. That's really how I spend my time. If I want to kill some time in a day, I go in and put on the film and I can kill three hours like that. Nothing to it. I saw more players this year that I said no on just put no. I didn't even write a, a, a report. I didn't put a grade on him. I just said, nope, don't want him. And these guys got picked in the third and fourth round. So that tells me that teams struggle to come with a consensus. They may have struggled to gather information. It really depends on, did you put a lot of tape, a lot of tape from 20 on there, from 19 on there? There's a lot of decisions that normal teams, normally teams don't have to make that were thrown into how they prepared this year. So I struggled with the whole process. And I think if I had a choice, and, and everybody killed Seattle for only having three picks, if I was going to have that, this would be the year to have it. I, I'd want my three picks this year and a full allotment next year. I, I would have liked to have punted on this, and and some teams did. The Chiefs picking uh, uh, Orlando Brown with the 31st pick by making the trade with Baltimore, smart, out, outstanding. I'll give that an A, yeah. actually, because a, we a know plus. he's played in the yeah, league. A he's plus. Good. Now it even makes more sense because I see some what some of these teams did in the second and third round. And it's not to kill them, but they're taking prospects now where you before you'd say we can get a guy in the second round or we can get a guy top of the third. I think he might be a starter for us. I just don't know that that's going to exist in this draft. And so, yeah, that's where I start the topic in the whole drafting scenario in that I just didn't see the quality. I didn't see the depth. I think it was a struggle for teams. We're going to get to Alex Letterwood later, but but let's extend this Chiefs thing. Would you rather have uh, Orlando Brown or Alex Letterwood? And Orlando Brown's going to make some money, but maybe not for a year or two. Yeah, no, 100%. I'd rather have the proven commodity. When you go get a pro player, you've got tons of pro film to look at. You're not extrapolating out and projecting a guy who's playing against East Carolina one week and and trying to block, uh, you know, Suggs from the Ravens the next week. You know, it just you don't have to do that. So... I think it's the hardest thing in in what we do is to project college kids who are playing sometimes against neighbor kids uh, into a, a level of of whole different you know meaning in the NFL. So yeah, I would have definitely done that. I probably would have made that move even going up uh, as high as uh, you know. Well, I guess they did pick him at seventeen. So I would have said going up to to the Leatherwood spot at seventeen. 
Uh, I would have taken Orlando Brown over all the guys up until that, uh, yep. below that point. Below that. I got you. So we've got scratched out here on our in our notes. We've got Randy surprises. We've got some risky picks, and we got moves he really liked. Bears fans, yeah. hang on for that segment. You're going to like it. We've been critical of them in the past, but there's a little bit of love, a little bit of love for the Bears. Let's start with our surprises, Randy. You put uh, as your number one surprise, which I'm interested in, uh, Cincinnati at number five taking the LSU receiver Chase over – Penny Sewell, the tackle. A lot of people did have Chase going there. What surprised you about that? Well, I just felt like we've invested this in Joe Burrow. The last time we saw Joe Burrow, his kneecap was going out the wrong way. We all saw him take a beating last year. They couldn't keep him upright. I'm just hopeful that they will do something to keep him upright this year. And I thought a guy like Penny Sewell would solve that for him. I don't have any doubts about Chase. I don't. I mean, I may not have been as high on him as some, but I just felt like that was taking talent over team building. And maybe the maybe the Bengals are past that point. Maybe they just have to get some talented playmakers, which I think they have a lot of needs. So I'm not I'm not suggesting that they can't need they don't need this guy and won't use him. I just felt like Penny Sewell was one of those guys that it's hard to pass on a foundational block for your team going forward. So my my issue is more with team building and the way they did it as opposed to the player yep. itself, I guess. Yep. So you've got Jacksonville as your number two surprise. I've got a Jacksonville surprise too. I like to go through and watch, you know, some of the video and the media coverage of uh, to see what guys are saying. And the owner of the Jaguars said that uh, he's so happy to get Trevor Lawrence at number one uh, because great player, great prospect. But you know, internationally, uh, he could be you know, like bigger than Jordan was, Michael Jordan was, because Michael Jordan was a great star here, but it just didn't quite translate as much to the European market. And I was just going, can we let him play a game here? So we're drafting for London now. We're drafting for for London. Yeah. Yeah. The owners get excited though. They're people too. I thought Jim Ursay was talking about the Super Bowl, you know, too. They get excited. So we'll give them their day. But that was one that I was scratching my head on. Your surprise was taking the running back at the end there. Uh, uh, when they already had a good back and their coach Urban Meyer admitted that he was uh, hoping for, I believe Tony, the receiver went to the giants at 20. That's who he really wanted to. So there's a lot to sort of unpack here with that, with them. Um, But they got at least, Hey, maybe they're listening to their quarterback the way they want Rogers. They got his teammate, right? They got their quarterback's teammate from college. And they got a good player. I think what it told me more than anything and what surprised me was this was a reflection, I think, of the lack of value in other positions in the draft. To take a running back when they did, again, I'm not, I think Etienne's a good player. I think he'll play on third downs. He may bring a little more to the table. But to me, this showed that the lack of of depth throughout that first round sent them to a running back, which was not a position of need at all, really, for them. Um, So... You know, I guess I, I was only surprised that they hung with their board. I'm not saying it in a negative way. This guy had to be the top-rated guy on their board. So I was surprised they did that. Um, probably, uh, you know, it's a two-man job anyway, so maybe it works out. But to take a running back that is definitely not at the top of your need chart was the surprise that that, that got me. Uh, I don't really uh, – I think they. I think the first round ran out of players about 15 or 16 picks through, yeah. and that's what they had. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the Jacksonville's made a lot of progress because remember they took uh, a more of a one-dimensional back in Leonard Fournette, number four overall. Yeah. Can you believe that? In a draft that had, I believe, uh, Christian McCaffrey was coming out that year yeah. and some other guys too. No so doubt. this is much better. To t- You had two picks in the that. first round off of the Jalen Ramsey trade. Um, you take a good player, but yeah, a little bit of a surprise there position-wise. And then trader Dave Gettleman is your third <laughs> surprise of the yeah. Giants. 
I absolutely loved it. But again, I thought this was a referendum on lack of depth in the draft. The only way Dave's backing up is if he has nobody there that he loves. If he loves somebody, do you think he's backing up? Nope. He's picking them. He never has traded back in his career. I think this was a reflection of that. He didn't, he, he, there, there was a ball of guys there and he said, you know what? I don't love any of these guys. Let's just trade back and maybe one of them will sift through the bottom of that. They ended up getting the pick. They fell back nine spots. I think they added the element of speed, which they really needed. I think that opens up their offense for the quarterback, for everybody per se. So I think it was a win-win. Was I surprised he did it? I don't know, maybe he was setting this up in his pre-draft pressers, you know, to say, I've never traded back. I don't want to get fleeced, blah, blah, blah. Maybe that was all set up because I know this Dave is smart and he's not beyond uh, setting the bait, so to speak. But he made a couple trades during the draft. So I was surprised, but happy for them. Uh, But again, it reflected, again, the lack of depth in the first round, in my opinion. I like the future first, too, because next year is going to be a better first round. I think everybody agrees with that. And then if they go through this season and Daniel Jones just isn't the guy or, you know, for whatever reason, you've got an extra. If that happens, if Daniel Jones has a bad year and just isn't the guy, they would have a bad record, probably. And if they have a bad record, they're going to they could be picking in the top 10. And now they've got um, Chicago's number one pick next year, too. And who knows what could happen there? They could have a good year, but they could have growing pains with a young quarterback or or whatever. They could be they could get the 15th pick from Chicago real easy. And now you're sitting there at nine and 15 and you've got the ability to move to four to get a quarterback or whatever, you know, move to three or two. Uh, I really like that part of the process. I like Um, the move for Chicago as well. I didn't think they'd have the kahunas to do this after swinging and missing a couple times on quarterbacks. But clearly Ryan Pace and Ryan and and, uh, Nagy were on the same page. They they put together a plan that it had to have some certain things happen before it could even get to that point. But they were able to pull the trigger and did it. So I think their franchise is looked at a little different now because of this. And it's obvious, but they have some hope at that position now. They have hope. So it's just a matter of how long before they play that hope. And hopefully they can stick with the plan because they think they have a good team. And so a a team around Andy Dalton might lead them to the playoffs uh, before they have to play Justin Fields a year from now. Well, then let's go right into the moves you really liked. We'll get to the risky picks and other stuff after that because the Bears were number one um, on your list and moving up. And I'm not going to argue that. I mean, I think there were people who thought that uh, Justin Fields could be the best or one of the best quarterbacks in this draft. It wouldn't have been a shock if he had gone to Atlanta or someplace like that. Um, There's something a little off there in the evaluation of these quarterbacks, though, that you get the feeling some people might not have even taken them in the first round and other people would take them in the top five. I'm not sure uh, what that means, but you like to pick. Well, it means there was no consensus. I can answer that. The consensus is what you're all looking for. And I saw more consensus, obviously, with Lawrence and Zach Wilson. And then there was always a gap. And we've said that here. There's been a gap for me ever since day one with the rest of these guys. So that's probably why. But if you really need a quarterback, you're going to see the glass is half full. And maybe you go up to get a guy like Chicago. But I think they did well. The other two teams that I think just sat on their hands and really good players fell in their lap, which I think is a skill, by the way. Sitting on your hands in the draft and not forcing it, not making some move that you give up a third round pick to move up four or five spots because you have such a need. I think sitting on your hands is hard to do. And I will say this about the Chargers. They had Rashawn Slater fall all the way to them. Uh, 
with the 13th pick. That has not been a strength of Tom Telesco's in the past. He He's given some picks to move up in the first round to fill a need, and he he's the first one to tell you that. But I think in this case, you have to give him credit. This was a good move. They sat still. They got a good player. But even above that, the Lions at seven have Penny Sewell fall into their lap. They may not be sobered up yet. They're, that staff is so happy that they got Penny Sewell, and they never thought they would ever get him. The fact that he falls to them at seven as a building block for a long time is great value. And I think these tackles teams are finding out are great value. That may be part of the reason that the Leatherwood selection made sense. They are great value and they're very expensive to get on the open market. So if you like one at all, you've got to draft them at that point. Absolutely. We saw that in the tackle market this year where yes. it, it, that's why uh, Trent uh, Williams got bid up to ridiculous 20 million a year, 23 yeah. million a year. And, and if you're not in that market, then you're at Riley Reef at seven and a half. Because guess what? Right. If you're really good, consistently good, you're not going to be there. I think that's going to be interesting to see. Like, what is you know what the, what do the Colts do? Because you know they didn't get one. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you there. Um, that that was really good. And I I don't know that I think the Chargers it was so obvious what they needed that I, I was I was nervous for them as it was coming out. You could have seen. Dallas could have justified it. Or you know what I mean? Almost anybody yeah. could justify taking a tackle. So, And sometimes you need a little luck. Sometimes you get, you're really unlucky. I've sat through many drafts where I'm just telling myself, hey, we just need one break here. We just need one break to fall and then we're going to be in business. And then that pick doesn't happen and you're stuck there. You know, you just have that uh, gut ache that you, you, you're you hoping that it's going to happen. And, and they had some things fall their way. So God bless them. I think well, it's very good. Very good uh, fortune from both of those teams. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think the Ravens have demonstrated that. Now, you, on the Chargers, they just don't make many trades at all. If you ever see the list of, of yeah. most trades, they've gone a whole calendar year without making any trades. So um, it worked out well for them not to um, yeah. in this case. So those were a couple teams that we really liked. Um, you like the Eagles jumping ahead of the Giants to get Devontae Smith. And if, if you've been listening, folks, to this podcast, you know that early on in the process, Randy told us that uh, Zach Wilson would be very high among the quarterbacks before that was really being talked about. And then I think at one point, before you had looked at everybody, but mm-hmm. at one point you thought Devonta Smith could be the best player in the draft, just as a player, maybe not better than Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence, but he, you had him that high. So yeah. you still feel that way. Um, and what are they getting and why do you love it? Yeah, no, I love the pick. I think it's a great pick. I had him way up uh, on my receiver charts uh, as the number one receiver and have, like you said, since last fall. What I like is, and I love the NFC East for this reason, it's a game within a game, right? It's Philly maneuvering over the Giants. It's, it's you know, Dallas making a trade to, to do this to Washington. You know, I love the rivalries that they have and the fan bases that really think that they made these moves to, to screw the Cowboys or or the Eagles were really trying to mess up the Giants, you know. And, and so some of that factors in. We had this rivalry for years in the AFC West with the Raiders, Denver, Seattle, you know, the Chiefs. It, it, went, it, was, it was dog eat dog, right? And I love that about the NFC East. So when you see a move like Howie Roseman made where he flips in front of the Giants and, and drafts Devontae Jones – where or Devontae Smith, where everybody wa- had had the, had the Giants taking him. Everyone knew they wanted him. Yes, and everybody knew they wanted him. I just love those kind of moves. So kudos to Howie. Again, we we've not always been the kindest to for a lot of these decisions, but you gotta uh, give them accolades when they do make one and it actually works out. So I think Devontae Smith going to the Eagles is a great pick. He'll be their best receiver. He'll be Jalen Hurts' best buddy. They probably already are. 
And it's it's a good move for them. They've still got to do some more work with the the big boys on both sides of the ball there. But this is a good pick for the Eagles. I'm happy. That's why I wondered if the, if them taking a tackle could have made sense too. You know, yeah. the one no, I don't think it can ever not make sense taking um, a tackle because you know when you talk about these maneuvers, I, your evaluation of Devonta Smith is what separates us. So I'm not gonna I'm not questioning this. But I remember a couple of years ago how smart the Eagles were. Oh, they jumped Houston to get the tackle from Washington State, and Houston had to settle for Titus. You know, uh, uh, yeah. there in. Uh, you know, and he wasn't going to be nearly as good of a player. Wow, smart move. How he outfoxed him. Well, guess what? The tackle, uh, the, the offensive lineman in Houston's better. Yeah. You know, than, than Dillard. Dillard hasn't played any, any at right. all. So I think though, the difference here is you're much higher and Devonta Smith, um, is a, Yes. I agree. It always comes down to the player. It always comes down to the conviction you have for your evaluation for sure. And, and yours on him, you talk about the size. You don't have worries with him. I don't really, you know, you're talking to the guy who drafted Ted Ginn at nine in Miami and everybody killed me for that, but he played 13 years. He was durable. He was a different kind of player, but he still stretches the field and people had to defend us different every time he was on the field. So I I won't disregard uh, Smith's 170 pounds. I do think it is a slight red flag for sure because it's a big man's game. But this guy's been playing against big people his whole life. He's been told the whole time that the SEC, you're too small. Now the NFL, you're too small. I don't think that's a fatal flaw at all. I think he'll find a way to be their best receiver and be a productive player at the next level. Yeah. You also have the Jets on your list of teams that made moves you really like, and we're going beyond Zach Wilson here. Yeah, I agree. I think what that what what Joe Douglas is trying to do with that front um, has to be, you know, you have to pat him on the back for that. They had a lot of picks. They had picks that they used to move around with. Um, I think this is is building the team the right way. And I, I can't say I've been able to say that about the Jets for maybe 15 years. But I think these moves that he's made recently with Becton last year, with the USC guard this year, that solidifies a, a, a really uh, important part for Zach Wilson. And I think Joe and the Jets would be the first to admit they didn't do Sam Darnold right. They didn't do him right. They gave him no chance. Well, they're not going to make those same mistakes uh, with uh, Zach Wilson. So they're going to keep him upright. And that's always going to be, you know, p- paramount in how they build their team. They signed some receivers. They they signed some bells and whistles in free agency. So we'll see. But I think the Jets are definitely going, uh, uh, trending the right direction by taking care of that offensive line. So let's square this with some of our criticisms earlier in the offseason because we've been critical of them for getting rid of their best players. You know, some of their best players on most talented guys, whether it was Jamal Adams or uh, Williams, the defensive lineman, or you could make a case even Darnold if he hasn't been done the right way. Uh, Robbie Anderson was somebody who left. Um, they did all those things for picks, and the picks then don't aren't guaranteed to become good players. Um, criticism still stand for you, Randy, and they're just doing a nice job of coming out of it. Well, I think you've got to give them credit as we go along here, but obviously the proof will be in the pudding if those guys can play. I mean, obviously, I think we all understand Zach Wilson was a good pick. I think we are in agreement that Tucker's a good pick. I think Elijah Moore with, you know, their second round pick gives him a, a different element and a different skill set. So they're making progress for sure. I'm not saying they're they're ready yet. I think they still have some deficiencies on defense. And, and I would still s- criticize some of the players that getting rid of the players they did, but at least they have some picks now to back it up, and I think they're headed on the right course. I'm not saying they're a playoff yeah. team. Don't get me no, wrong, no, no. but I think you got to you got to give them credit when they do make good moves along the way. Yep, absolutely. Now on our on your risky pick list here, yeah, we're going to start in Nashville, Tennessee. 
Yeah, you know, and and I know John Robinson has had his plate full down there, uh, picking the right guys. I think they have turned down as many fifth-year options on first-round players as any team the last five years, and that's not that's not a, a, a referendum. It is a referendum on your drafting, in my opinion. You don't want to have first-round players that walk out the door after four years. Shoot, Adoree Jackson, they didn't even get to the point. They cut him. We all know what the offensive lineman was a year ago that, that failed them, you know. And but they're I felt not like, all total bust picks. They're guys who you kind of want to have on your team but not pay a lot. It's a weird deal anyway. Yeah, it is. But at some point, you've got to pick a guy in the first round that's around for a second contract. Otherwise, yeah, your, your team building is, is flawed. Trust me. <laughs> and, and I think in, in, in this case, this Farley kid that they picked, the corner, uh, maybe he's a free safety from Virginia Tech, two back surgeries, um, just a lot of risk there. And then when I looked at the film on Caleb Farley, I didn't really see the hype everybody was talking about. I saw a guy that kind of played a little stiff. I thought his back was bothering him at times when he played. So I've heard other people that just love him that I respect. So I got to respect that. But at the same time, if you really love a guy, Mike, and, and I don't, and I've always said this, the truth is probably in the middle somewhere. Yeah. And I don't know that the middle was the 21st pick in the first round. So that's another risky pick, in my opinion. I don't know how this guy turns out, but I didn't love the film and the medical information would make me shake my head as well. So that was a yeah. struggle for me from a risk standpoint. They, uh, you know, they they took a risky, they took an injured guy in Justin Simmons, um, you know, and, and it looks like he's going to be a great player. But we we felt like he was a great talent, right? I mean, he, mm -hmm. he, he yeah. was a dynamic defensive lineman, whereas this player here, we could debate if he's even a first-round pick, right? And I might be wrong, but the fact is the truth is in the middle if we're building consensus yeah. at all. It's not about somebody being wrong or right. It's about where we settled as a team. And they had to be all in on this guy. So everybody saw this guy. I guess they had no, you know, no, uh, no view like mine. So God bless them. I just think it's a risky pick. And when you consider the medical, it's, it's going to be uh, – I don't even know where to play this guy. I'll be honest with you. I don't know yeah. what to do with him. I'm sorry. I said Justin Simmons. I'm trying to put the Broncos' safety on the Titans, but it was Jeffrey Simmons, gotcha. the injured player, but a, but a good player nonetheless who had some injury concerns coming out. Number two, I'm a little I'm a little surprised on your risky pick list. Number two, because um, the Colts got you know a fair amount of love for taking who they took. What do yeah, you think? I, I, and you know how this might be personal preference more than anything, Mike. You know how I am with these edge rushers, right? We don't have a position for edge rushers at a lot of places. So this is a kid that had two sacks last year. I understand the story, um, great story, all the background, the character, nobody's questioning that. I think the notes I saw, and, and I could be way off on this, but he started four games last year. So I see a situational rusher in this case with not a lot of production. So we'll see how this works out. Normally, I'm right lockstep with Chris Ballard, their GM. We see players alike. I don't know about this one. I just thought there was a little risk here because I didn't see the production when I when I watched him on tape. I didn't see uh, an edge setter, a guy that could play the run, a guy that could do all the things. Now, maybe he can get upfield and rush, but that's going to be a, a product of coverage as well. So I think there's some things there that I didn't love. But again... I just don't know that the back half of this first round even stands up to the last six or eight drafts that I've been a part of. It just, it doesn't, I saw teams reaching for these edge rushers in four of the last five picks in the last round, in the first round. So that's a struggle in general for me. Yeah, I, I'm, I was almost surprised that you didn't have uh, New Orleans on there too. That seemed, um, 
seemed like another one of those where where sometimes where you're taking yeah. when you take a premium position in non-premium slots, you know, it's sort of yeah. I think teams do. were grasping down there at the bottom. I don't love New Orleans pick. I watched that tape on that kid and I saw a stiff, you know, uh, one-dimensional rusher that really struggled uh, in some areas too. So I just think it was more a victim of where we are draft-wise, and and those picks were 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 made in in to fill role positions or role spots rather than every down starting, you know, uh, defensive lineman or that, that you'd have to be. There's no defensive lineman in this draft. That's that's for darn sure that were you know thought of like that. That's why the kid from uh, Miami stayed in Miami, and they picked him with their second round pick, the uh, the Miami uh, Jalen Phillips, the defensive end. There's a 275 pound guy. There just wasn't a lot of these guys around, so he was the only legitimate defensive lineman I think in my notes that really got picked in the first round. Yep. So our second risk there was Quiddy Pay, by the way. I don't think we mentioned his name as the second pick. Yeah. Uh, for or the second risky pick, first pick of the Colts. This year, as they really tried to improve their ability to rush the passer, our third risky pick is—we're not saying it's a bad one. It's Trey Lance. I mean, uh, great job by the 49ers keeping everybody, maybe even in their own building. So, if you read some of the fun stories out of there, Jed York might not have known. I don't know if you, what you believe on that front, Randy. Right. If, if they really didn't know, but in the end, it doesn't matter. They—they they got Trey Lance. He's barely played football. <laughs> Immense upside. I get it. Total, total uh, great kid, smart. I understand the, the getting to know him and the character part that goes with it. Um, and if, I, I like the way he throws the football. He just hasn't done it a lot. And that's why I struggled uh, just trading up the capital they did to take him. It is a high-risk, high-reward pick. And, and time will tell. I'll be the first to to give John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan credit for having uh, the guts to do it. Now we'll see what happens in the long run. I think if people expect him to come save the franchise this year, I think that's a struggle. But, you know, in a year or two, we might be saying, hey, look at Pat Mahomes Jr., you know? Yeah, it's a fascinating one to me. I feel like he's going to a good place and that Kyle Shanahan can make an average quarterback look good, you know, when he has has it going. And so they're going to have run game. They're going to have quarterback movement. They're going to have play action. They're going to have a lot of things that really help him. And then we'll see ultimately if he can elevate it beyond that. He certainly is athletic. So I um, do. Yeah, I agree. I do think he brings a different element than they've ever had in that. I think he'll be a factor in the running game. I think that zone offense, the zone read stuff that the Shanahan's have done forever. I think it can even be extended to another level with Trey Lance's athleticism. I know this, that Shanahan, uh, Kyle, doesn't think that there's a defense that can stop what he does because the offense has an answer for everything. Well, this is one that he hasn't really been able to expand on. Maybe you saw a little glimpse of it in Washington with RG3 until yeah. he got hurt as a runner. But I do think Trey Lance is going to bring that element to this offense, and we haven't seen that. Okay, I added one in here, just interesting pick that I wanted to discuss, which was um, the situation that Houston found itself in. They had traded away all these high picks back when they thought they were going to be fine at quarterback, and then the whole quarterback thing's gone south. So now they were in a position this year where they're not sure if Deshaun Watson's going to play this year or if he's going to be on the team, uh, and yet they didn't have any picks in the first right. 66 picks. So they they took the Stanford quarterback, Davis Mills, and they sort of had to because all the quarterbacks were going. There, there wasn't a lot of them. Right. If they wanted to get one, they had to get there. Obviously, not a great situation. What do you what do you think of the pick, and what does it does that pick signal anything to you? I think what it signals to me is, and this is is what we talked about early on in in uh, Nick Cesario's tenure there. They've signed a ton of guys, right? 
I mean, a ton of guys. They have brought all new faces in there. And I think what it gave him was options in the draft. And I think that's what he was looking to have was all these options. So he could draft a Mills. He could draft the top player on his board. I have no doubt that Davis Mills was in the first round on their board, probably toward the end of the first round. That's what I think, just based on how I know they do things in New England and how they're doing it here. So that was strictly a let's be true to the board. Let's pick this guy. I think your your plans change sometimes when you see a value up there that high and they just couldn't pass on it. Come to find out that their plan has changed a little bit because of all the stuff with Deshaun Watson. So I think it makes sense. I think there's a developmental part of Davis Mills that people don't really understand that he might be able to get better faster than anybody else. And I think that's what they view this kid as. Having. Yeah, he, he where was he on your kind of list of these guys? I don't remember if we talked about him before. Do you, do you like him? I like him. I, I didn't have him rated as high as most of the pundits did, but I saw the skill sets that are there. He okay. just ha- he he has some polish um, that if you forecast ahead a year or so, I think he'll be. I think he's got a chance to be an NFL starter. I don't know that I'm ready to say this guy's going to replace Deshaun Watson, but I think the value when they picked him it make it make sense. Yeah, I had talked to a quarterbacks coach over the weekend who thought of those guys that went in that group. Kellen Mond was another one. There were yeah. a couple, two, three guys that went in that group that thought Mills was the most NFL starter, could could be a starter. Yeah. So we'll see if that comes true. I don't think taking one in the third round is a huge signal that no. Watson can't return or anything like that. Where is that point in the draft for you? Uh, how early do you have to take a quarterback to where he has to play in the next two years? You know what I mean? Where Where yeah. is that? Is that sort of... First, does it have to be first round to really I think that? it has to be, Mike. I don't think you can take a quarterback in the third round and expect him to be a player right away. Yeah. I think if he does, yeah. it's a complete surprise. Like happened in Seattle, they didn't know Russell Wilson was going to come in and, and yeah. do what he did right away. I just think that's, we're kidding ourselves if we think we're that good at this job. So yep. I think what it comes down to is with these teams in rounds three, four, five, it's about the choice you have to make of filling a need. Are you drafting to fill out your depth chart? Or are you drafting the best players that are up there? I see some of these teams where they start filling a depth chart right away. And that goes against every bone in my body. I just don't understand that. Why we're bypassing cards in the first round and in the second round to pick a guy in the fourth round because we have a need for that. So we've drafted the eighth corner and we've put him on our depth chart as the backup right corner when we've passed up on 15 other cards of better better players. So I think what you end up doing is you build a team of backups. You have a team of backups because you're picking these lesser thought of players, even by your own staff. They put him up there in the fourth round because they didn't value him as much as these second round picks. So just be true to your whole process. That's all I'm saying. That's the choice you have to make as as a decision maker when you get in these rounds three, four, five. Yep. It's time for Ask the GM. All right, well, we've run through Aaron Rodgers. We've run through the draft. Let's wrap this thing up, Randy, with our Ask the GM question today. The Raiders got ripped for selecting offensive lineman Alex Letterwood, where they picked him, 17th overall. He would have been available much later, people said. You liked the player. You talked about him a couple weeks ago as uh, somebody you'd put in the first round. You thought even the way he played late in the year, you could say he could be a top 10 talent. Doesn't mean you necessarily take him there. Right. Uh, what do you think, and how do you how do you sort of know, you know, whether you took them too early or not? Should they have played it differently? And like we were praising uh, those teams like Baltimore and Chargers for letting guys fall down. Where do you fall on the Leatherwood selection? 
Yeah, I think it all comes down to your conviction on the player for sure. I mean, obviously they like the guy, they picked him that high. I concurred, and again, I, I understand that may go against uh, the common uh, thoughts of, of a lot of experts out there. I think the guy's a good player, and if you watch the last four or five games that he played at Alabama, he's, he's up there as a big, strong dude who can play right tackle for me, I know that. So I get that. I think sometimes they struggle in that they can't sell these picks, and in this case, they probably didn't manage the media correctly because let's just face it, the media and the mock drafters, um, they're going to rip you if, you if you make them look bad. Nobody <laughs> had Leatherwood in, mocked in the first round, right? Nobody did. Not one single mock draft that I saw had him up there. So guess what? They're going to get ripped by everybody because nobody had it right. And that's what, you know, the agendas of the people doing the ripping, you have to consider that. But if you could have managed this, and maybe John did this, I don't know how their inner workings work, but if you could have floated that pick a little bit to the local media or to some people around there, maybe you you surprise fewer people. So it's kind of about managing the message to me. And, and when you're the head coach and the GM and everything else, that's a hard message. to You don't have time to, to manage these messages. But these other decision makers around the league, I always felt like if you could manage the message, your pick will be accepted more freely and people won't come after you. Not that you really care at the end of it, but you're not trying to embarrass the media either. You're trying to do what's right for you and, and not embarrass anybody else. So there's a fine line. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. I, I You described the mentality well. It's like... Um, if I forecast something and it comes out differently, the teams do it differently, my first inclination would be, where did I go wrong? But you're right. In this whole draft thing, it's like, no, oh, well, the yeah. team screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't have a mock on him. I didn't mock him till the third round. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned Ted Ginn earlier in this. Let's wrap it up with, you know, yeah. that was an example for you. That was a pick you got criticized for. Um, and may maybe you could have done a better job of sort of this Raiders thing, right? 100% I could have done a better job, and, and one that I blame really on myself. I yeah. didn't have a feel for the Miami media. I didn't have a feel for the national media. I didn't have an opportunity to manage that pick at all. But had we floated that a little bit, and, and people locally might not have looked so bad when we picked him out of nowhere, I think it would have been accepted because he was a good player and he played for a long time. So yes, I do think you have to manage the people, and that's part of the process. That's part of being a GM, in my opinion. Absolutely. If suddenly Todd McShay has this guy eighth in a mock draft, yeah. you know, there, there's some truth criticized. to that. There's some yeah, truth they're to shaping it. public yeah. perception. Yeah, you, we as decision makers have a role in shaping that public perception, I think. Now, we yeah. can go put our head in the sand and, and yeah. think we're smarter than everybody else. And, and, and you're just so afraid you don't want that name to leak out there. I get that. I'm not looking to, to solve yeah. world peace, but I just think yeah. there's an element there of managing the message that goes unnoticed. Absolutely. Well... We managed our time pretty well, Randy. We've come in uh, under an hour. So if you're listening <laughs> to us during that workout, we hope we got you through it. And uh, we'll be back soon because there's there's no off-season. Uh, when I was a beat reporter, that was sort of my motto. There is no off-season. And the off-season is almost more exciting than the season sometimes, depending what market you're in. So, hey, everybody, thanks for coming along. You can find Randy Mueller at MuellerFootball.com. A lot of great content there. You can find him on Twitter at RandyMueller underscore. I'm Mike Sando at SandoNFL on Twitter and senior writer for The Athletic. Thanks, everybody, for coming along. Thanks.